Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Well, I tell you what, it's good to see Jake healthy and robust again. Uh, I tell you, Jake, you walked through a physical trial, and you're coming through. Ashley, you're healed in Jesus' name, too, praying for you. Hey, I tell you, I, I love being around God's people because we keep praying for each other, encouraging each other. In fact, one of the things we're going to do next Sunday, uh, it is Mother's Day, but we're, we're going to have a gift for every woman, every lady in the house. One of the things that I like to do with Mother's Day is... Is I, you know, I, I like to I like to honor every single woman who's who's here. So every woman who's here, we, we're going to honor you. We're going to bless you. It's going to be a really really special day. Also, just want to say thanks to you guys who helped uh, demolish some more stuff out of the foyer yesterday. It was a fun day. I, I before everybody showed up, I just like you know I I didn't want to take away all the fun from everyone, but I started out like ripping stuff and kicking things and tearing it out. It just felt great. But when people started showing up, I calmed down and like, okay, you, you did miss that part. It might be hidden on the security camera somewhere. You guys can pull that up one of these days and see it. But, uh, but oh, I just want to thank these individuals. These are uh, some of the people who came out yesterday. Jake, Daryl, Jordan, Donna, Adam, Ian, Joe, John, Betsy, Cody, Kristen, Cindy. Thank you so much for demolishing and smashing and having fun with us yesterday. And we do have a lot of other changes coming soon to the foyer. That, that project is moving on. All right, I'd like to get your Bibles open to two locations, Isaiah and the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 in the New Testament. Find both of those, and I'll be addressing those passages near the end of the message, so it's kind of moving everything toward that, but, but I'm going to leave that on the screens for a second so you can find that. If you're watching at home, go ahead and find those locations as well, because I want you to see some detail that's in those particular passages of scriptures, and you may want to be marking them up as well. But I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I love the body of Christ. I love Jesus. You know, though, there's been an interesting uh, development or an interesting movement in the, in the church, I, I should say in the Western church, that it's been kind of like a, a, a pressure to transform the teaching of God's Word and the preaching of God's Word into a simple self-help seminar. And, and, uh, and it's, it's a very real thing that's, that's been happening. And it's troubling because what it actually does is it reduces and it, it even sometimes eliminates preaching that are based upon the basics of the scriptures, the things that are most important, that are really the foundations. And we can talk about all of those good things and, and they're, they're true and they work and we do preach about those. But if that's all we do and we don't talk about the foundations, then it's worth nothing. Then church becomes nothing more than a self-help seminar. And I don't want that to be my church, you know. Uh, the, the, the Bible is full of good teaching, teaching about uh, enhancing your thought processes and managing your relationships, controlling your attitudes and your emotions and overcoming dark days and, and dark stuff. And a lot of psychology is, is really is based upon the things that we find in God's Word. But psychology leaves out the essentials, which I want to talk about today. Uh, and and uh, and I, I really believe that church is more more than just getting some good tools for life. Church is about uh, about God. Th this is a what I call a God dependence gathering. 
In other words, if God doesn't show up, what we're doing is worth nothing. I mean that. And it's a, it's a place where God lovers and God seekers, we come together and we experience the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit. It's where the blood of Jesus unites people from all types of different backgrounds. I mean, we are a mixed-up mess of, you know, of, of people. Like, how would, we, how would we find anything common? But we're here together. We're people from all different walks of life, all different places, all different backgrounds. But the blood of Jesus unites us, and so we actually function as a family. I love it because the church is a place where love and grace abounds. Church is where we are trained in the ways of God, and I love it. So I'm starting a five-part series today, and it's called, the series is called The Power of Sacrifice. The Power of Sacrifice is the series title. I'm going to hit five different areas of sacrifice that are, that are, that's really critical for believers today. Um, sacrifice is an interesting word. It's not a comfortable word for any of us. Uh, my parents, I, uh, I, I appreciate them. I, I came from a home with four siblings, and I realize now, uh, especially as I'm able to look back and glance back, and I, I have a deep appreciation for the significant sacrifices my parents made for me and and for my brothers and for my sister and those sacrifices were were great they were huge and those of you who are parents you understand that as well but uh, but but especially that my parents generation I mean they were the generation that that they were born during the Great Depression uh, that so when, when we grew up at home those mindsets were still active in my in my parents minds you just didn't throw any food away you kept it all you recycled everything everything had a purpose eventually and uh, they they're, they're the ones who went through World War II and and it was an, it was an era where some of the greatest heroes of our of our uh, modern day modern times just sacrificed so so much for their nation and more uh, but but the whole idea of making sacrifices isn't really um, something that's very appealing. <laughs> it's something that, that seems more alien to us, especially in, in our generation today. But the concept of sacrifice should not be alien to us. And the practice of sacrifice should not be alien to us. And we're, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. I have been challenged before. I've had individuals in my years of pastoring saying, we don't want, we really don't want to hear about sacrifice. We don't want to hear all this blood stuff. And we don't want to hear about Jesus, about the death of Jesus. We don't need to hear all that stuff, that sacrifice. Come on, just give us some good principles. I've really had wonderful people challenge me on that. I've had, I've had ministers of the gospel challenge me on that as well. It's like, well, you throw out the power of sacrifice, then you throw out the gospel. It really doesn't exist. And, and so I want to bring that in. I want to talk about that today and for the next several weeks. But, uh, but the, the vast majority of the biblical references to sacrifice are found in the Old Testament. That's the first three quarters of the Bible. But they are types and shadows of different forms of sacrifice that are to be practiced and understood in the New Testament church, which is where we are today, the New Covenant Church. So that's why I'm calling this series The Power of Sacrifice. And you're going to see some connection between what was done in the Old Testament and how we function with those same principles today. Although we don't sacrifice animals, okay? We, we do know that, right? Yeah, you, you guys good with that? Good. Well, you'll see why here in a few minutes. We don't, we don't do that anymore. But today I'm going to talk about the most important sacrifice of all, and it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So the title of today's message is The Blood Sacrifice. The Blood Sacrifice. 
Now, we all want our world to be a good place. Isn't that correct? Come on, we do. We want to be around people who uh, act in peace. We want to be peace agents, you know. We want to procure justice. We want to distribute love, right? I mean, that is what we want. That's the desire that we have. But there's a problem, and the problem is everybody else. No, actually, that's not, that's, that's, not the, the, that's not the problem. There is a problem that causes all of us as humans to wreak havoc and destruction, and the problem is evil. Evil is the big, big, big problem. Now, Paul, he, he wrote uh, more, more books of the New Testament than anyone else. Paul is an incredible writer. He's a missionary, a man transformed by the power of God. He once killed Christians, and then he became, uh, he became a church planter, spent the rest of his life planting churches until he gave his life for the gospel. But he wrote this in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. And t- take a look at this. This is an all-around awesome man of God. But he wrote this. He says, I have the desire to do what is good. That's what we were just talking about, right? Our desire to do good things. But I cannot carry it out. (laughs) For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil, there's that word. There's the word. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That is one of the most interesting scriptures in the Bible that uh, a hero, a church planter, would have the courage and, and I used to say the transparency, just to be that honest. Thank God for that. See, I mean, a lot of people believe this. They believe, well, God is good. And since God is good, God should just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be real. The evil that's in the world is not just out there. Because the evil that we see around us, according to what Paul wrote, is, is in us, too. And we have also contributed to the evil in the world. So if God's going to get rid of all the evil, God has to get rid of us. Now you begin to understand. It's beginning to get bloody. <laughs> but of course God's not going to do that. That's why we say, thank God for your mercy. Thank God for your grace. Because you don't treat us as our sins deserve. So God's not going to do that. But, but evil is around us. Evil messes us up. Evil thwarts our desires. Evil uh, corrupts this world. Evil is the initiator of sickness and disease. COVID-19 is nothing more than pure evil. Evil. And, but it's always been that way. It's been that way since the Garden of Eden. So evil, what it does is it just simply ruins things. Now, there's, there's two different effects of evil. One is what I call a direct effect, and the second is called an indirect effect. Let's, let's talk about the direct effect. So the direct effect of evil is, let's say, uh, someone steals from someone else. Well, there's a direct effect that's there, because when you steal from someone else, you have created an injustice, and peace is disrupted. And because you stole from that other person, then you owe them something in return. So that's a direct effect of evil. The person who was stolen from is violated, and they've experienced loss. And the person who has done the stealing, they experience this penalty of having to pay for it and having to, to, to make things right. 
So that, and that's seen in many different areas. And that's one of the things that we probably look at most easily. Yeah, that's the direct effect of evil. But there's also what I call the indirect effect of evil. And that's where evil uh, comes in and ruins and destroys the relational factor of, uh, of, of just the relational fiber of families and homes and churches and communities, cities, nations. And this, is, this indirect effect of evil causes there to be like a lack of trust and emotional damage and walls go, go up. And, and then that's where distrust and hatred and anger results. And, and, and as a result of that indirect effect of evil, things still have to be made right again. So you see, even when a person tries their very, very, very hardest, still, at some point, you're going to cause evil. And that's a problem. So, let's take a look at the origin of evil. Where did it come from? What's, we, we, we need to, to go back there and take a look at that. Well, it's from Satan. Evil is from hell. Evil is basically, uh, I guess the succinct way, succinct way of saying it is evil is the work of hell that is set to destroy creation, all of creation. Um, hell disrupts people's lives. It's this evil. evil the evil from hell wants to, uh, wants to destroy people's health, wants to destroy economies, wants to destroy relationships. Is this evil from hell wants to destroy families. And we are a part of the creation. We are a part of God's creation that hell is working to destroy so therefore, evil is affecting us and trying to pull us down. Therefore, ultimately, really, every attack of evil in this world ultimately is targeted at people because we are the number one target in all of God's creation because we are the pinnacle of creation. Yet at the same time, we are all the ones who spread evil. And I'm sure... I know this. Some people spread more evil than others. <laughs> and we like to look at the ones who spread the most evil. Say, see how bad they are. Every time you point at them, it's going to be pointed right back at you. Because the truth is, even the smallest level of participation in evil makes you guilty. You're just as guilty. And God has to do away with evil, but he's not going to do away with us. But we're the ones who perpetuate it. You see the, the challenge we've got here. So, as God's people, what happens here? What happens here? Well, that's what makes the Bible so amazing. That's what makes the gospel so incredible. Because then God issues this plan to get rid of the evil in the world without destroying mankind. So, how does he do it? Well, the... the very early on in the story of the Bible, there is a practice that is implemented, and it's called animal blood sacrifice. I know it is bizarre to us, but it was a powerful symbol of the justice and the grace of God. Now, remember this. Don't forget this. You and I are contributors to the evil in the world. Thus, we should be removed. But what God does is God allows then this animal to die in your place. It's called a substitute. So it symbolically sheds its blood and dies in your place. And there's a Bible word for this. And the Bible word for that is called atonement. 
And some of you have even heard about substitutional atonement. That's what this is. Atonement, I've, my definition for this is, is, is blood sacrifice and death, covering sin and bringing reconciliation between God and man. That's what atonement is. In fact, the gospel is based on this whole concept of atonement. So the evil you do, including the evil you don't want to do, can be atoned for, all right? You can be reconciled with God in spite of the evil that you've committed, whether it's huge, small, a little bit, or nobody knows about it, okay? But at the same time, we don't do animal sacrifices, do we? Now, if someone says, yes, let's have a talk after church. We'll listen to the message that we can talk after church, all right? Because we shouldn't, because there's a better way for atonement. But I'm going to talk more about that later, all right? Now, I want to talk a little bit more about that second effect of evil, that indirect effect, which is, it, it's also this, it's a, it's a ruining of the environment. It's a ruining of environment, of relationships, and ruining of, of this earth. It's, it's, it's even considered to be polluting and defiling the land. So what, what would happen at that time is a priest would not only sacrifice the animal, but they would take this, and this gets, this gets strange here, but you've got to hear it out. He would take the blood of the animal and he would put it into a basin and walk around the temple grounds and would sprinkle the ground. He would take the blood, sprinkle it all over the ground. So in, in reality, it just became like a bloody mess. And I know it sounds strange, that, but, but, but this blood was actually a form of cleansing. So the blood, which again is a symbol... And we're not accustomed to it, and it makes us squeamish, but that blood is a symbol, and it symbolized cleansing and purification, and the blood also represents life. The blood represents life. So the sprinkling of this life, the sprinkling of this blood represents the cleansing away of all the indirect consequences of evil and the world, which then that would purify the ground. It would purify the temple. Sometimes I think about it, I'm just glad I'm not an Old Testament priest. Thank you, God, that I was born in this generation. I don't walk around doing that kind of stuff. I would not like that. But, but again, the Bible calls this purification, and God does this so that people can live together, so that there can be harmony. And this, this ritual actually made things right, again, between the people, God's people, Israel, and God. Uh, and by having the evil covered by the, uh, the blood and, and cleansed by the blood, ideally, then these people would become then agents of peace and justice in the world, and, and they would be healed in their bodies. But it didn't always work that way. So the system that was set up by God was not fully complete because people would offer sacrifices, but then they would not attempt to change anything about themselves, and they would continue in their ways, and they would not be agents of God's peace and restoration and health and goodness. So we got a problem there. Still. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 speaks of this. Uh, just take a look at this. This is what God is saying. God says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat, of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Now, wait, 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 wait. So God is saying that what he had instituted wasn't doing the trick? <laughs> well... God ultimately wanted something 
else, something to come from that. Because this is what dispels evil. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. It says, learn to do right. This is a little bit further down in that same passage. What God wants you to do is learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. That is what God has called us to do because, not just because we want to be good people, but because of the blood. All right? So what had happened is the sacrifices had become nothing more than a meaningless ritual. Uh, because they continued to ignore the great evil that they perpetuated and how they continued to ignore the poor and, and the oppressed and even the Israelite kings were distorting justice and they were, they were just making a mess of it all. In fact, they were even killing their own kids. It was terrible. So Isaiah, he talked about in the book of Isaiah, he talked about something that was going to happen in the future under the royal line of David that would eventually come along and deal with evil in a very, very surprising way. That there would be this king in the line of David, and they, everyone knew who David was at this point, and, and this king would come along who would be a servant, and not just a regular servant, but a suffering servant who's a king. And he would come and die for his own people, and his life would be a once-and-for-all sacrifice that would be offered up for all of mankind. Now, this is written about in Isaiah chapter 53, where I asked you to turn, and I want you to see it now. Now, please understand this, though. Do you realize Isaiah 53 is forbidden to be read in most synagogues? The reason it's forbidden to be read in the synagogues is, is it's, it's, it's almost kind of like they've taken it out of the Hebrew Bible. It's still there. But uh, unless you read Hebrew and you're going after it yourself, you, you're not going to find it. You won't see it. They don't read it. The Jewish rabbis know it's there, but they don't want to read the truth. The, the good thing is we're about all of the Bible, so we're going to read the truth here today. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Listen to this. I'll just give you a hint. He's prophesying about Jesus and what he's about to do, what he's going to do when he comes on the scene. It says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. That's Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus wasn't a pretty boy. He was just a normal-looking dude. <laughs> All, right. Yeah. All right? And that's good. So some of you are like... That makes me feel better. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? 
For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, us. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. You see, this is what God wanted all along. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his land. This is good. Keep reading. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, that's us, and he will bear their iniquities. That's our (laughs) evil, okay? Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So this is what Jesus did for us. He became the perfect blood sacrifice once and for all. In fact, Jesus even used the words of Isaiah to explain his disciples in this role. Mark 10, 45 says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now that word ransom means atonement also. So Jesus' death is an atoning sacrifice for every one of us. And his blood not only erased our sin, but his blood erased the debt that we owe to God because of the evil that we continue to do. And the death and the decay that we perpetuate, God forgives it and erases it so that we can walk in justice, so that we can make Jesus known. And his wounds provided a method and a a means for us to receive physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing in our body as well. Because, and that all came about because evil was released through sin at the very beginning in the garden. So Jesus' death becomes this ultimate sacrifice. And he not only broke the power of hell, he not only broke the power of hell and evil through the cross, but through his resurrection, when he came back from the dead, he broke the power of death. And this was all, this was all because of this blood sacrifice. All of the stuff from the Old Testament now, all that was doing is just simply pointing toward Jesus. So, because of Jesus, Christians don't do animal sacrifices. And we're all glad for that. But Jesus did institute two things, and this is important. The things we do at church are not just some little okay well they said we'll just kind of do this and do that you're going to begin to understand that during the series but jesus instituted importantly two very very important uh rituals they were new rituals i call these the ordinances of the church two very important things we're supposed to do as christians one is water baptism we did that this last sunday baptized in water. What is water baptism? Water baptism is a personal connection with Jesus' death and his resurrection. I love water baptism. But here's the illustration. As Jesus died, we go into the water and we are personally connected with his death. But when you come out of the water, it's as if Jesus come out of that grave also and we are associating ourselves and we are connecting ourselves with the resurrection of Jesus because we come out as a resurrected person. And so that ritual of, of water baptizes, water baptism, it merges your life 
and your faith and your life transformation with what Jesus did for us. We baptize in water publicly here because it is the symbol of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is foundational, foundational to everything we do. If you're a believer and you've not yet been baptized or even meaningfully baptized, <laughs> you need to just sign up to do it. I want you to do that, fill out a next card, and we can do it every few weeks around here. I want you to be baptized in water. It's critical. It's so important. You're participating in what Jesus did for you. But there's a second ritual, and it's called the Lord's Supper, also known as Holy Communion. And Holy Communion is personal connection with the atoning blood of Jesus. Now, follow me carefully on this because Holy Communion is, is not something we should just casually rush through. Holy Communion is something I believe you should do it in your homes, we're to do it in church, and the scripture says we're supposed to do it often. Why? It is because this is the ritual that we do today. We don't sacrifice animals. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. But we do this ordinance of the church of Holy Communion because it is critical to, for us to remember, to understand, and to also participate and experience even more of his continuing power in our lives. Holy Communion isn't just some goofy thing we do. There is power associated with it. So these these rituals, these ordinances, they remind us of God's love and they encourage us to continue to live lives of love toward people on the outside. But water baptism and Holy Communion do more than just provide an experience or show us a connection. It connects us to power. See, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that deals with the evil in our own lives. And it's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit transforms us, transforms us into people who live lives of justice and peace. We become agents of healing and restoration. Around here, we simply call it making Jesus known, but we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you come out of that water. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. What raised Jesus from the dead has raised us, and we are different people. We act different. We do things different. Last week, we practiced water baptism. Today, we practice communion. And if you're watching with us online, go ahead and prepare some communion elements for yourself. We'll distribute them here in a few minutes, but it's not time yet. Some of you are ready to do it. No, it's not time yet. Plenty of time. I want us to get this. I don't want you to do it as, a, as just some routine thing. So here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to turn to that second passage of Scripture that I showed you. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Take a look at that. Because as we look at this, the power of the Holy Spirit, it is made available to us all. And we, we interact with it through communion. And we, through communion, through the ordinance of communion, you can be set free from oppression from hell. I, I believe that just simply by taking communion. I believe that by taking communion that you can be healed from sickness, infirmity, and disease. It is potent. It is powerful. 
Now, Paul was writing to this church in Corinth, this, this ancient Greek church, about how to do communion. And I want you to read his words because they mean everything to us today as well. He said this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That's where our mindset is to be. Our mindset goes back to the cross. And see, at this point, as he is instituting this, he is also deinstituting the animal sacrifice because he is about to become the once and for all sacrifice. So he said, this is something now to begin doing. This is the new way we're going to do this. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim means to speak out. So you, you may not be saying anything, that, but it is an object lesson. It's a little object lesson. So it makes you associate, yes, this is the body of Christ. I receive this. I receive into myself everything that he is. I thank God that I am healed because of his wounds I'm healed. And when you drink the cup, you say, thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood that sprinkled, that, that, was, that was sprinkling on the ground, that cleansed the crown and that cleanses my life, that washes my sin away. Thank you, Jesus, that I am set free from evil, all the plagues of evil in, in this life, set free from oppression, from hell keep looking. It says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, now let me explain that. An unworthy manner simply means that you're doing it out of ritual. Hear me? You're simply doing it out of ritual without having made sure that you're clean before God. That's one of the reasons why we always say, let's just let's clean our hearts before God. Before we do communion, let's just make sure we're right with God. Now some of you, you might be carrying a huge burden of sin or whatever in your life, but you want just by simply asking God to forgive you. It's gone. And I say, yeah, but I might do it again. Well, God is not looking at you doing it again. He's, he's just saying, you, if you want to be free, if you want to be forgiven, you just pray that with me right now in just a few minutes, alright? Right now in a few minutes, okay? Okay, look at this. It says, whoever drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. I tell you a parallel here in the Old Testament. Before the before the priests would even begin to do anything, they would examine themselves and they would go through a, through a purification process before they touched any of that. Before they even started messing with the sacrifices to make sure they were pure and they were holy, so they didn't get they they could literally get struck dead. And it did happen in the Bible. So we're still dealing with holy things here. Do you see, see this? It says, for, for those, okay, keep reading here, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now that word discerning, that has another meaning there. That means, that, that literally means if you, if you are partaking of communion without recognizing the full value of it, then you're actually harming yourself. See, the full value of it is as you, as you receive, you're saying, God is healing me. 
God is setting me free. God is working a miracle in me. God is working a miracle in my home, in my family. When you do that at home, when you do it in the church, God is working in me. God is doing wonderful things in me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's why communion around here isn't just some just some little thing we do. No, we do it with, with intention and, and, and we, we sing and we worship and we recognize God is in this place. God is doing something in us. But those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. It's like people even stay sick or they, they, they even die because they didn't realize that as they're doing communion they can receive the full value of this. Okay, now this is changing your whole mind about communion, isn't it? It ain't just a little game. This is powerful. Powerful, powerful. Here's all I want to do. I want us to pray. Because around here at City Life Church, we practice what we call open communion. Open communion means that you do not have to be a City Life partner, a member of this church or anything. But you do need to have your life right with God. You need to be a part of the family of God. And if there's any sin in your life, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And you, you just get that sin out. Just you, you, you can't make it go away on your own. It only happens through the blood of Jesus. But the sin is gone as if you've never sinned. You're pure and holy. So we prepare ourselves first for communion. And then we receive the communion in just a minute. And when we receive the communion, then we're going to, we're going to lock ourselves in on the full value, the power of what we're about to do. And power is released in the place. Come on, guys. That's why we do church. Today's not five steps to success. Today is all about the power of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I want it working in you, in your family, in your home, and in this church. You just lock yourself in with God all around this room. You're watching online also. There's sin in your heart. Maybe you're not even a believer. You're not serving Christ. I want you to, with intention, with intention, pray this prayer. Give your life to Christ. I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to wipe away your sin. Congregation, I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer with me because you may be encouraging someone around you who is praying this prayer. And they don't they, they may be nervous praying it. But if you're if we're all praying it together, you may be okay, but someone next to you may not be. This is going to be an encouragement to them because God's about to do something wonderful in this place. Pray these words with me, dear Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Wash it away with your precious blood. I give my life to you. Today I make the choice to leave my past and to move into the future that you have created for me. I give my life to you. Thank you for giving your life for me. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.